We're going to be in the book of uh, uh, 1 John, uh, 1 John chapter 5, and parents, if you have yet to sign up your students, or young people, if you have yet to sign up for the D-Now weekend, and let me encourage you to take care of that today. Um, William, how you doing, buddy? And um, uh, let me encourage you to, to sign up your young people for the Disciple Now weekend. Uh, this is an opportunity to be able to, uh, to meet together to have a, an extended time Friday evening through Sunday noon of uh, uh, being together with other teenagers, to be able to sit under the teaching of the, God's word, to have, gather for corporate worship, to have small group, have activities as a student body. And so let me encourage you to, to, to take advantage of this opportunity. And so um, if you have yet to sign up, you can do that. I think the instructions are in the morning uh, worship guide, or you can see Pastor Thomas. I know he has to get out of here pretty quick after church, and so we'll just kind of ha- hold them up, all right? So I'm just messing with you. You guys, t- take care of that, all right? Here we go, uh, 1 John chapter 5. Can you guys believe it? We're 80% through the book of 1 John. You're saying, I've been about 100% for a while. I hope you haven't been saying that. This has been a wonderful study, being able to go through the Word of God verse by verse, and I hope that you have been encouraged and challenged, uh, enriched, uh, as we have consider what God has said in the pages of Scripture. Today's uh, message, I've titled it Birthmarks. When our oldest son was born in 1992, uh, we uh, you know, checked into the hospital. Well, there's a whole other story to that, and Vicki can tell you that story. Anyway, we checked into the hospital there. She checked into the hospital. I checked in later. Uh, and uh, uh, <clears throat> I was working. Uh, forget it. I'm just, it was... Not my finest moment, all right? Which I have many of those. <laughs> anyway, so uh, we were introduced to this whole world of um, being able to check the, the newborn baby with the per- birth parents, right? I don't, if those of you were back alive in 1992, you might remember there were some stories being circulated in the news media that time that there were some children who were born who were accidentally switched in the hospital. And so they were raised by, completely, by parents who weren't their birth parents, and only later they found out that the people who they thought were their mom and dad were not their biological parents, right? And so when we got to the hospital, they gave Vicky a wristband, they gave me a wristband, and when it came time for Vicky to give birth to our firstborn, sounds like a Christmas story, doesn't it? Uh, they gave a wristband onto Tyler, Right? And, um, and so every time there was an exchange between the nurses and the nursery and us in the room, they would come in and they would scan that little uh, wristband and scan our wristbands to make sure that, you know, that the kids matched up with the parents. Well, God, in his grace, gave Tyler a birthmark. And so right above his left ear, there's maybe the size, half size of your pinky uh, fingernail. He has this little birthmark right above his ear. So guess what? They're coming in. And they're scanning everything and whatnot. All I'm doing is I'm just checking for the year. All right, that's my kid. We're good. We're good to go. Scan all the way, all you want. It, I, this is my son, right? And so there's the physical birthmarks, these ways that we can uh, identify our children. Uh, sometimes, you know, there's uh, the physical resemblances. We'll say, man, he's a spitting image of his dad. Or she has her mother's nose, right? It doesn't mean that the mom's walking around without a nose and the kids, you know, we just, they look alike, right? Then there's the characteristics, the traits. I, 
when I graduated from high school in 1982, went off to Virginia, and I've been in the United States ever since then, basically. I mean, I go home, went home for a couple summers and a week here, vacation there. Uh, but basically, I've been away from home since 1982, and I'll go home, and I'll visit my family, and I'll call Vicky. I said, man, I cannot believe it. I am my dad made over. I mean, I talk like him. I walk like him. I'm stubborn like him. I mean, it's, it's uncanny. And I haven't been around him for 40-some years, basically. When we come to the, gut, the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 5, John writes about the new birth. And he describes, when we come to the opening verses of chapter 5, that just as there are birthmarks that help us identify our biological children, there are distinct birthmarks that identify us as the spiritual children of God. How can anyone know that they're a child of God? What are the tests of paternity when it comes to the family of God? 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Let's read the word of God this morning, and then we're going to begin to consider what these birthmarks are that the scriptures give to us. All right, so if you have a copy of God's word, 1 John chapter 5, we're going to be reading the first five verses today. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so as we read this passage, we're going to unpack and we're going to look at three birthmarks that are given to us in this passage. But before we consider that, we need to ask a more basic question, an underlying question, and that is who is a Christian or, or what makes someone a Christian? How can anyone become or be a child of God? So who is a Christian? What is a Christian? I think a number of years ago, well, 2009, so 15, 14 years ago, however many years ago that is, Southwestern Seminary, the, the president at that time was Paige Patterson, and he led a, an initiative there that every faculty and student member, the, we called it this, uh, taking the hill in which the faculty and the students would, in a one-mile radius, have a gospel conversation, seek to share the gospel with every, with every resident, 6,700 people in a one-mile radius around Seminary Hill. And they would go door to door, and their mission was simple, to be able to uh, make contact with every resident and be able to have the opportunity to share the gospel. Each visit would be documented and recorded. One of, the document, one of the visits was documented with this note. It was a visit between a, two seminary students, a faculty member, and a 92-year-old resident. His wife of 62 years had recently died. He identified himself as a Christian, and he, but he said this. You have to do the best you can in life because even though you are a Christian, you just don't know for sure that you are saved until you get to heaven and find out. You have to do the best you can in life because even though you are a Christian, you just don't know for sure that you are saved 
until you get to heaven and find out. I want to say this, that that thinking is completely foreign to the scriptures. And it's completely foreign to the message of 1 John. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, John wrote his purpose statement. He says, I am writing these things to you who believe on the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants us to know that we're truly saved. And if anyone lacks assurance, the invitation of Scripture is, is open to all. Come and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I don't believe that this elderly man who lived around the seminary community is alone in his sentiment. I imagine if we were to take a survey among our own neighbors, the people that we work with, and we would ask them, what is a Christian, or how can someone become a Christian, or how can anyone be prepared for, death, or for their life after death? I imagine that we would hear many similarities to what that 92-year-old man voiced. Well, I try to be a good person. Well, all you have to do is believe. I'm a member of a certain church. I'm a a Roman Catholic or I'm a Baptist. I haven't killed anybody. I'm not sure anybody can know. It really doesn't matter. A loving God won't send anybody to hell. I agree with the assessment made by Pastor John MacArthur, that there are only two religions on this earth, the religion of human achievement, and then there is the faith of divine accomplishment. Human achievement, divine accomplishment. The religion of the 92-year-old man is the religion of human achievement. You have to do the best you can and hope that when you get to heaven, you're saved. I try to be a good person. I give to the poor. I work hard. I'm faithful to my wife. I try not to lie. The religion of human achievement. I'm a Roman Catholic. I'm a Baptist. The religion of human achievement. I haven't killed anyone, and I'm glad. But religion of human achievement. I want you to notice in the passage that we read this morning how the Apostle John began verse 1 and ended verse 5. Verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Everyone who believes, and that tense of that word believe there is present tense. Everyone who is believing right now that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, is, or the NIV says is, it's, your version might say has, has become, has been. It's perfect tense. It's, it's happened in the past, and it's an ongoing reality forever. Has been born again, or has been born of God. Verse five. Only the one who believes, again, is believing 
that Jesus is the Son of God, is the one who overcomes this world. And from verse 4, how do we know who the one is that overcomes the world? The one who has been, again, perfect tense, has been, always will be, has been born of God. And so we see here at the beginning and the end, this whole idea of what it means to be a Christian. You must be born again, as Jesus said to Nicodemus there in John chapter 3. This is the message that the Apostle John has been emphasizing throughout this letter. That true life, eternal life, is from God and God alone. There is no life apart from Jesus Christ. Pay particular attention to what must be believed. Verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, this speaks to the humanity of Jesus Christ. It speaks of his office in this world. Jesus Christ came as the anointed one, the promised one of God. He came as the fulfillment of God's covenant with David that upon you, I will set upon your throne a descendant of yours who will rule and reign forever. And the Old Testament scriptures look forward to the Messiah, to the anointed one, that Jesus is the Christ, John is declaring. We're just not believing in a, a story here, but we're believing in the fulfillment of God's promises. Verse 5. Everyone who is believing that Jesus is the Son of God. This speaks of his deity, that, that Jesus is not just a man, a, a human being, but he is the God-man, God in human flesh. And John has already addressed this, this idea of Jesus being both the Messiah and the Son of God throughout this letter. And the Christian faith is not just having faith in faith, but rather to be born again, to be born of God, to be a child of God, you must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. I think of Jesus during his earthly ministry when he was, took his disciples up north to the city of Caesarea Philippi, this bastion of idolatry and a stronghold of wickedness and immorality, and, and there outside of this city, Jesus turns to his disciples and he queries them. Then he says, who, uh, who do people say that I am? You remember that day? And the disciples began to pop off their answers. Well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're the prophet. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? We didn't get that answer right. For it depends, our eternal destiny depends on that. And you remember Peter's response? You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, upon this confession, I will build my church. There's no other way. We have to get it right here. Um, the, the Gospel of Mark, uh, Mark chapter 1, 1, begins this way. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. The, the, the New Testament message is that, is that we have to be clear about who Jesus is. John wrote in his gospel, the purpose statement there at the end of the gospel, he says, I am writing this so you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There is no, na there is no life anywhere else. 
Even in this letter, 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, John declared that what he wrote it was not anything he fabricated or made up. The, apost- the message of the apostles, the message of the early church, the Christian faith does not rest on something that has been made up. John writes in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1, he says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This letter that we've been studying since last September, I guess it was when we started, is about how you can know that you have life and how you might live in fellowship with the Lord and with God's people. In chapter two, verses 22 and 23, John wrote and he said, who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the one who denies that Jesus is the Messiah, is the liar. And he goes further, he says, this is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. And so the scripture is very clear that the only way to be, the child, to be a child of God is to have a personal faith, a belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And so we have to be clear then of what, what does it mean to, to believe? Is believe just, well, I just, yeah, I believe that. I mean, I believe, you know, I, I believe in the law of gravity. I, I, I believe in Abraham Lincoln. I believe in Jesus Christ. What does it mean to believe? The word believe has at its root faith. The word faith and believe or belief uh, come from the same family of words. And it means this, to, to know and to acknowledge what the Bible says about Jesus Christ is true and to commit your whole life to him. And to believe is to, to put our trust in Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, the Son of God, the hope for deliverer. And such a confession or such a faith is a birthmark that we have been born again and that we are a child of God. When anyone believes, when anyone trusts in Jesus as their Savior, believing him to be the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, who lived the life that they should have lived but didn't. He died the death they should have died, but now they don't have to because he died. They believe that he was raised from the dead to give them a salvation they do not deserve. When anyone believes in this Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Bible says that something happens in our lives. And that we are what the Bible calls born again. It's a supernatural work of God. We are made the children of God. This is what it means to be a Christian, loved one. This is what it means to be born again. I found the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones so helpful and insightful uh, on this. He said, believing is not something intellectual or something I only do with my mind. If I believe, I commit my whole life to him. If I believe, I know I'm delivered because Christ has done that for me. I see that apart from him, 
I am lost and undone and doomed. It doesn't matter if you've been a great person, a good person, if you're a religious person, if you've been a church member your entire life. And none of that matters. If Jesus Christ has not been your Savior, you are doomed. You are lost. You are undone. This is a profound action, Lloyd-Jones writes. It is a commitment. It is banking of one's everything upon that fact. Jesus to Nicodemus, John chapter 3. You must be born again. And John here, in this section where he begins to identify the birthmarks of the new birth, He begins these five verses and ends these five verses reminding us that we must be born again. We must be born of God only by believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. Having established this, let's go on to the birthmarks. You say, what are the birthmarks? I see three of them in this passage. The birthmarks of those who have been born again, the first birthmark is this. There will be love for God and his children. There will be love for God and his children. Look again in verses one and two. John writes, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commandments. And this has been our focus the past three Sundays, and so I'm not going to belabor this point, but I do not at the same time want to move past this too quickly. We know this, what the word of God is saying this, that the new birth brings people not only into a faith relationship with God, but the new birth also brings us into a loving relationship with both God and his family. The new birth brings, that into us, brings us into a loving relationship with both God and his family. Look again at verse 1. Here's a literal translation. We, we're just to work through this verse 1 literally. Everyone who believes, present tense, right now is believing that Jesus is the Christ, has been begotten. In the past, has been begotten, always will be in the future has been born out of God and everyone who is loving, present tense reality, who is loving what? Who? Loving the begetter. Your translation will probably say the father, but it's the begetter. Also loves the one who, the one begotten out of him. Three times in that in the original languages, I mean, you, don't, you can't miss in the original language, it's begotten, begotten, begotten. Loves the one who was born out of him. We cannot separate our love from God from our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we know this is true in our families of origin, do we not? We'll say things like this, that blood is thicker than, Right? Saying that, you know, I mean, like you might fight with your brother or your sister, but somebody crosses your brother and sister, you're the first one in. You're going to defend them, right? I read of a 
of a, of a, of a child uh, coming to his dad, and he's hugging his dad, and he snuggle up in his dad, and behind him is his little brother. And he, while he's hugging his dad, and dad's just loving that moment, the, brother, the, the one he's hugging is sticking his tongue out at his little brother on the ground, right? So many times that we find ourselves living that way, but the, the point is this, is that, is that born of God, we love God the Father, yes, but we also must love his children, And verse 2 affirms this and explains this. By this we know, by this principle, that the one who loves the Father also loves his children. By this principle, we know that we love or we should love the children of God. Verse 2, how do we know that we love the children of God? Whenever we love the Father and we keep or do his commands. And so the question this morning that we have to just stop and ask ourselves is this, is, is do you love God? And do you love his children? That's the birthmark of new life. Do you love God? And do you love his children? Do you love God? Are you hungry for the things of God or, or do you find yourself loving the things of this world? In chapter two, we we saw there where, where John wrote and he said that the one who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do you find yourself worshiping the Lord spontaneously throughout the week that the songs that, that we sing on Sunday, the, those songs that you knew as a child, you've learned throughout your life, that they just begin to bubble up and worship for the Lord throughout the week? Do you hunger and thirst for the things of God, for righteousness? Or is there an indifference to the things of God? It's just like, well, I'm just, you know, I went to church on Sunday and the rest of the time I gotta just make a living. I gotta make my life work. Or do you hunger for God? Do you, do you long to hear from God? Do you look forward to sitting down and opening up the word of God and saying, Lord, speak to me again. Feed me again from your word. Like think of, of, of Peter there with the disciples there in John chapter 6. He said, Jesus turns to him as the crowds are leaving. He says, are you going to leave? And Peter says, Lord, who are we going to go? You have alone have the words of life. Do you have that kind of hunger for, for the things of God? You think of a, of a newborn baby, right? The baby's going to get hungry. There'll be a desire for, for sustenance and the same is true. We're going to love God. We're going to desire him. When do you find scripture and prayer a drudgery? You see, when we love someone, we seek to honor them. We seek to please them. We want to be with them. And so the question is, do you love the Father? Do you love his people? If it's a chore to show up, your goal is say, well, I'm just going to get out of there as fast as I can so I don't have to talk to anyone, or you're here because maybe your wife or your kid or drug you to church, you may want to stop and think. Reconsider, do you really love God if you don't love his people? If you love God, You'll love to be with his people. You'll want to gather with his people to, 
to hear from him, to worship him, to honor him, to serve him. You love God, you'll long to be in his presence. You want to hear him speak. Praise him, to worship him. And if you love his people, you long to be with them. You see yourself as a, your life, your role within the community of faith as a way to, to be a conduit of God's blessing to one another. You pray for them. You nurture their faith. You encourage them. You, you speak kindly to them. You exhort them. You encourage them. You, you come alongside. You, you, when, when your brother or sister is, is, not, is, is making choices that, that do not uh, line up with who God is and what he's, you, you speak, you don't ignore that, you speak to them. We, we live out the one another commands of Scripture for our spiritual benefit, our care. The scripture is very clear that we cannot separate. We cannot divorce loving God from loving others. We love others because we love God. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. I, do I have that verse up there? Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. No? Just write this down, this reference. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name. God won't forget and overlook the love that you have shown his name. How? In serving the saints. In serving one another. As you still do. You say, what is the birthmark of someone claiming to be born again? Their life will be marked by love for God and others. And so do you love God and do you love his family? The second mark, birthmark is this, is that uh, you will be, there will be obedience to God and his commands. There will be obedience to God and his commands. Look again at the end of verse two and verse three. <clears throat> this is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and how? By carrying out his commands. Verse three. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands and his commands are not burdensome. Verse two. The one who loves the children of God will also love the Father and carry out the commands of God. Verse 3 defines what it means to love God. The love of God is this, that we will keep his commands. Verse 2, carry out, or your translation might say, obey his commands. Verse 2 has to do with our actions. Our action will be to obey. The actions of our lives will be an obedience to God, an obedience to his commands, an obedience to his word. We'll carry out, we'll fulfill his commands. Verse three, when we come to verse three, and it says that, that this is the, the love of God is to keep his commands, a different word here. An older translation might it will say in both verse two and verse three, the idea of keeping, but it's two different words in the original language. This word, keep, has to do with our attitude. This focuses on how we regard the commands of God, how we heed the commands of God. This idea of keeping has the idea of protecting or guarding the commands of God. 
We guard the commands of God. We keep the commands of God. Why? Because we treasure them. That's our attitude. The commands of God are sacred to us. And so what is to be our action and our attitude to the word of God, to the commands of God? We're to keep them and we're to obey them. And this is consistent teaching throughout the scriptures. Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. One of the ways that we love the Lord is by keeping his commands. Jesus said that the evidence of loving God is the obedience of our lives, the the direction of our lives. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse four, Moses instructed the people of God as they were fixing to enter into the promised land. And he said, Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse four, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commands and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. Did you catch those action words? Walk, fear, keep, obey, serve, hold fast. This is how the nation of Israel was to live in the promised land. This is how you and I as the children of God are to live as we sojourn through this world to our heavenly home. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. The book ends. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God. Keep, obey his commands. All of life, the duty of how we relate to God is is a, a relationship of obedience to God and his commands. Psalm, Psalm 119, speaks about the whole chapter, the longest chapter in scripture, speaks about the word of God. Verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Do you see what the attitude is? Your law is a delight. I I love your law. I meditate on your law. what's, What's caused this change? It's the new birth. It's the new birth. And what we see consistently taught throughout the scriptures is that obedience begins to mark the direction of our lives, not the perfection of our life. Is your life marked by a a desire to obey, to heed, to hear, to follow the commands, the word of God? Verse two, verse three rather, uh, speaks about, verses two and three speak about our action, that we're to obey the commands, it speaks about our attitude, that we're to keep the commands, Notice what our approach should be to the word of God. Verse three says that why do we keep and obey the commandments of God? End of verse three. Because his commands are not burdensome. His commands are not burdensome. That idea of burdensome does not mean that the commands of God are unimportant. That's not what the word of God is saying. The commands of God are very important. The scripture says that the word of God is our very life and death. So the the word of God, the commands of God, they're weighty. But 
They're not heavy. They're not heavy. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 11, verses 29 and 30. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And you consider the person who has no delight in God or the things of God, the one who has not been born again. What is their attitude? How do they approach the word of God? They chafe under the word of God. You think about the things that you... We hear how non-Christians, how they characterize Christians, right? Man, you, you got to what? You have to go to church every Sunday? You have to give up your Sunday morning? And you give that much every week? You know what you could do with that money? Man, you can't have any fun on Friday night. Then when they know you're a Christian, and maybe it's... Uh, Profanity or something off color is shared in the office or the workplace. <laughs> Sorry, Christian. Excuse me for, right? It, but it, it's, it's a chafing under the, the natural man, the, the person who has not been born again, resists the word of God, rejects the word of God. Instead, John says this, that the one who has been born of God obeys keeps the commands of God. Why? Because his commands are not burdensome. They are his delight. They are his life. Instead of his commands being burdensome, as the world will suppose they are, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 15, warns us by saying that the way of the treacherous, that is the way of the unfaithful, that, is the way that is hard. Following the Lord his law, the one who has been born again is a delight. Hosea chapter 14. After Israel had abandoned the Lord and forsaken the Lord by playing the part of a harlot, a prostitute in their relationship with Yahweh. The, the book ends with this promise and this warning. Whoever is wise, verse 14 of Hosea 14 says this, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right and the upright walk in them. And then the book closes with this. But transgressors stumble in them. Our action, our attitude, and our approach to the commands of God, to the word of God, reveals the reality of the new birth a birthmark. I'm going to stop here today. <clears throat> there's a third birthmark, and it's verses four and five, and there's more here than I can 
unpack and cover for us in the amount of time that we have. Let me encourage you this. This week, take your Bibles and study your word, the word of God, right? First John, read the whole book. Verses four and five talk about an overcomer. Notice how John traces that idea of overcomer throughout this letter. We'll come back to that next week, that the one who is born of God is the one who overcomes this world by faith. But I want to end here by today by just asking us to consider what the Lord is saying to us here today. What is the evidence that you've been born again? Are you holding on to a certificate? Are you making sure that something has to be scanned that says, oh, I'm a Christian? You know, I, I walked an aisle when I was nine years old. I prayed a prayer. I have a baptismal certificate. I completed a catechism class. Is that what you're relying on to say that you're a child of God? Or, by the grace of God, are you bearing a birthmark? The birthmark of the new birth, of the new life. Is there a likeness to your heavenly Father? Do you love God? Do you hunger for him? Do you love his family? I'm not talking about, do you just like some people in the church, and then there's others that are just like, well, man, somebody else can like them. I, I got my four here that I like, and that's good. Or, as we've seen in this letter, are we demonstrating the love of God by laying our lives down sacrificially? Is there a brother or sister that you'd say, we're in relationship, we have the same heavenly father? But there's a broken relationship, and I need to get this right. We need to confess our sin to one another. We need to be reconciled for the glory of God, for the honor of his name. Does your heart well up inside of you and say, with the psalmist and says, you know, it is better to be one day, it's better to spend one day in the courts of God than a thousand elsewhere. Does that well up inside of you? His word, do you seek to obey his commands and keep them because you find his word a treasure? Do you find his word to be a burden and burdensome? Examine your heart. Maybe you, you begin to just take a look and you list, we listen to the word of God here this morning. Maybe you realize, you know what, I, I don't know what I'm trusting in, but I'm not sure if I'm trusting in Jesus Christ. And maybe your need today is for the new birth to be born again. Don't leave today having attended a church service without knowing for certain that you are a child of God. Brothers and sisters, May the word of God also sanctify us. And maybe as we sat under the word of God today, we hear about the revival fires maybe burning out in Kentucky. And we realize, like the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter two, we have left our first love. 
And today, the message of Christ to his church is repent, return, and redo the works that you once did. May we not hear the word of God and not respond to the word.